Welcome to A Raw Perspective, A Fresh Point of View. I am your host, Richard Anthony Wallace. Hello on this glorious April 11th. I want to give a very special shout out to my mother. It is her birthday today, so I want to wish my mama a very happy birthday. If you haven't done so already, you can keep up with everything related to this podcast on my Facebook page, if you go to www.facebook.com slash a raw perspective, click on all the updated features, subscribe anywhere where you can get your podcasts. And if this resonates with you, you can always tip a brother in the tip jar below. Today's topic, we get to talk about one of my guilty pleasures. We get to talk about something that's just been profound, just that's been salient in the core of my being. I don't know why this gives me such joy, but it gives me joy. And that topic today is professional wrestling. Now you're probably wondering, why is a grown ass man like myself watching something that is quote unquote fake? Well, let me remind you that professional wrestling is not fake. It is predetermined outcomes at the end of the results. So today, I'm going to be doing a little tutorial about some of the terms that are used in the wrestling business. My takes regarding WrestleMania, since I am recording this the night of WrestleMania, but this podcast comes out on the 11th. So, and I'm going to talk about my favorite matches through all the promotions that I've been going through. So you're probably wondering, how does professional wrestling work? Uh, We mentioned professional wrestling in public, and you're likely to get more of a livelier conversation than you would with politics or philosophy. Well, somewhat. Depends on on the, the policy, right? More on the philosophy. With professional wrestling, is it a sport? Is it a show? Is it real? Is it fake? Who is the greatest wrestler of all time? Where's parts are known? Like, by the time you are done with this podcast, you'll have enough pro wrestling knowledge to put anyone who disagrees with you into a sleeper hold, unable to budge the iron claw of your logic. You'll learn how to re- how wrestling got started and how wrestlers accomplish seemingly superhuman feats without killing themselves and each other. You'll also learn about the top stars of the past and present. And if you're already an expert on all these things in the squared circle, you'll discover the action behind the scenes is often more bizarre and convoluted than what goes on in the ring. So let's get, let's get started. Let me take you down memory lane or a history lesson about what professional wrestling is. So let's start with the basics. The basic idea of wrestling is two people competing in a physical combat. It's ancient. The Greeks engaged in forms of wrestling that has survived today as what we call freestyle wrestling. The Roman Empire also adopted the elements of Greek wrestling with the emphasis on brute strength. The resulting form is known as the Greco-Roman wrestling, which requires wrestlers to perform all moves on the upper body only. Freestyle and Greco-Roman wrestling are the two international amateur forms practiced today in the Olympic Games. 
They have clear rules and weight classes. And points are determined. Winners and violations result in disqualification. And you can find more information on the rules of amateur wrestling if you just Google amateur wrestling. Uh, so how is professional wrestling different? Unlike amateurs, professional wrestlers are paid. They also tend to be more skilled. A sporting commission regulates amateur wrestling, but pro wrestling is internationally unregulated. In the early days, wrestling fell under the state sporting commission authority. League owners soon realized that they could avoid all the hassle by clarifying their shows as entertainment and not a competitive sport. Wrestling does have rules, which I'll explain in more detail later. However, the rules are loosely defined and loosely enforced. The skills of the wrestlers do not determine the outcome of the match. Instead, writers work on plots and storylines well in advance, and every match is another chapter in the story. Who wins and who loses is all in the script. So that probably brings up the question, does that mean pro wrestling is fake? It's true that the plots are predetermined and the moves are choreographed. Wrestlers aren't really trying to be beat up and injure each other. Sometimes the bitter, the bitterest enemies in the ring are actually really best friends. And the outlandish stories surrounding the characters are usually not true. However, simply calling wrestling fake, it's like calling an action movie fake. When you see a movie, you know that the actors didn't really jump over like jump over a burning car over what well, yeah they didn't really jump a burning car over an exploding bridge which is still entertaining right stunt people and special effect crews work to make those scenes seem real and their work can be very impressive pro pro wrestling is is like that most wrestlers are exceptional athletes who train for many hours each day to maintain their physical condition they practice for years to learn both the moves and how to execute them safely while still making it look dangerous. They suffer many injuries, sometimes severe. Their schedules are grueling. There's certainly nothing fake about flying 20 feet through the air from the top row. Uh, next, we'll learn about kayfabe and the meaning behind some of the wrestling terminology. So the wrestling code is called kayfabe, which is an old carnival term. In wrestling, it refers to the illusion that the characters and storylines are real. It was once an important wrestling code, and some wrestlers even stay in character outside of the ring to reinforce the illusion. To break kayfabe was to step out of the character in the ring and dispel the illusion. This dampened fans' enthusiasm and hurt businesses, so promoters were not too kind to wrestlers who broke kayfabe, often writing them out of important storylines or not using them at all. Kayfabe is not as important today. Pro wrestling is more or less open about the fact that the stories and plots are predetermined. They rely on the fans' willing acceptance and desire to be entertained by the stories, but wrestler, wrestling performance still needs to stay in character during a match. When a wrestler breaks kayfabe, it's a shoot. A shoot can be a match where the wrestlers get angry and actually fight each other instead of using the choreographed moves. It can also happen when someone accidentally uses another performer's real name or when behind-the-scenes events spill into the ring. For example, some infamous, famous, well, infamous shoots include the MSG incident, so Madison Square Garden, 
a group of wrestlers whose characters were enemies but were friends in real life hugged each other goodbye in the ring by some of them were leaving to join another promotion. The most infamous one known to mankind is the Montreal Screwjob. Popular wrestler Bret Hart was promised that he wouldn't lose his championship belt in his home country to another wrestler he personally disliked, who happened to be Shawn Michaels. Instead, a crooked ref and the league commissioner seemed to cheat him out of his belt, although some suspect that the incident was worked. This is a part of the planned storyline all along. So Vince McMahon told Earl Hefner to ring the bell when Shawn Michaels put Bret Hart in a sharpshooter in his hometown of Montreal. And Shawn Michaels didn't tap. No, I mean, Bret Hart didn't tap. And Shawn Michaels was declared the winner. You can look it up on YouTube called the Montreal Screwjob. So now you know what kayfabe means. Well, what about those other terms that the announcers use? Why is one of the performers a heel and the other one is a face? So here are some common wrestling terms. Smark. A fan that knows what's going on behind the scenes but still enjoys watching the events. I would consider myself a smark. A smart mark. Uh, yeah, that that's what I would be. A house show. Uh, just last night, uh, All Elite Les- Wrestling... Uh, did a house show. A house show is an event that isn't televised. So you will not see this to the light of day on on television. A promotion. I just gave an example of a promotion, All Elite Wrestling. There's also World Wrestling Entertainment. There's also Impact Wrestling. There's also New Japan Pro Wrestling. There's Ring of Honor. There's there's a whole gamut. Uh, just a whole gamut of, of wrestling things. But a promotion is a wrestling league known as a federation or a fed. Face. Face is a good guy. A character who is designed for the fans to love and emulate. Short for babyface. Hulk Hogan was the face of most of his career. Um, heels. Heel is a villain, a character designed for the fans to boo. For example, uh... Iron Sheik, Lance Cade, The Undertaker. Most characters will switch back and forth between face and heel during their careers. Uh, A sell. Sell means making the wrestling move look realistic and painful. So when someone is getting punched in the face, the individual is selling to to that person. Uh, A squash. A squash is a match in which a big name wrestles a nobody and... Beats him easily. They're usually the nobis are usually called jobbers, or they're called um, enhancement talent is what they would like to call that. But yeah, they're usually someone that's breaking their into the ring. An angle is a part of an ongoing plot. For example, a feud between two wrestlers is an angle. Uh, a build is part of the the angle, which means that they're building up to some monstrous match at some pay-per-view that you can see the end of the result. Uh, No-sell. A no-sell is when a wrestler wrestler stops selling his opponent's moves. Sometimes it's part of the script. The heroic wrestler gets a second win and suddenly becomes invincible. Other times it happens because of poor wrestling skills and because a wrestler decides to break kayfabe. Screwjob. Screwjob is when a Performer is double-crossed by either his opponent or the promoter he is working for. 
This refers to a legitimate double cross. Not one has happened within the context of kayfabe. Next, we'll discuss the rules that are made to be broken. <laughs> so the most important thing to know about the rules of professional wrestling is that they can be changed, disregarded, made up on the spot, or broken at any time. As long as the referee is looking the other way, and it seems like he, he or she is always, or whoever is a professional um, ref now, anything goes. There are a few general guidelines, though. For example, most matches have a time limit of 20 minutes. The standard way to win a match is by pinfall. You might hear a match described as one fall or three falls. One fall means whoever has their shoulders pinned on the mat for a count of three loses the match. A three fall is the best two out of three. Wrestlers can also lose by submission. This happens when their opponent puts them in a submission hold, a maneuver that locks the other wrestler in a painful position. Eventually, they will signal to the referee that the pain is too great and they simply give up. A wrestler who is rendered unconscious by a sleeper hold, for example, is assumed to have given up. Sometimes wrestlers are disqualified. There's a gray area. There are plenty of rules for disqualification, such as standing out the ring for too long, using a foreign object, or receiving help from another wrestler. Whether or not anyone is actually disqualified for these things depends on what the writers have cooked up for the current storyline. In some cases, a DQ is not considered a loss. The match ends without any proper resolution. For example, sometimes a heel of a championship belt will intentionally get DQ'd if it looks like he might lose the match, the DQ means he technically didn't lose, so keeps his belt, or whoever the, the champion is. You might notice some wrestlers put an arm or leg on the rope when the pin when they're pinned, forcing the ref to stop counting. This is an old rule in which any hold or pin must be broken immediately if the opponent manages to get some part of their body onto the rope. Tag team matches have their own set of rules, but most wrestlers abuse and disregard them. A tag team match pits a pair of wrestlers against another pair, or even three on three, which they call trios. One wrestler from each team is supposed to be in the ring at the same time, and the wrestler is the only one who can legally pin the opponent for pinfall victory. Tag te teammates must tag each other's hand by switching to a new wrestler in the ring with 10 seconds to make the change. There are dozens of specialty matches, each with their own rules. They often are made up specifically for one match. In a ladder match, a championship belt or an other prize is hung far above the ring, reachable only via a tall ladder in the center of the ring. Um, the first wrestler to claim the prize gets to keep it. The winner of the skill cage match is generally the first performer to escape the cage, although some matches allow for wins by pinfall or submission. The WWE's popular Royal Rumble matches dump a horde of wrestlers in the ring at once. Anyone physically thrown over the top and out of the ring is eliminated and the last wrestler in the ring is declared a winner. So, and the next topic that I'm going to talk about is we'll learn how professional wrestlers sell the show. So, let's, let's talk a little bit about pro wrestling moves. A heel grabs his opponent and unleashes 
four monstrous punches directly to um, the opponent's head. The opponent is stunned, but remains standing. The heel then hurls him into the ropes, where he bounces off and runs head headlong into the clothesline. The crowd hears a slap of flesh hitting flesh, and the opponent catapults in the air, slamming down on the canvas with a solid thud. If anyone really went through this, they'd probably end up with a concussion, a broken jaw, and some cracked ribs, to say at the very least. Pro wrestlers work very hard to make their moves look real, but inflict minimal damage. This is known as selling. If you've hit if someone hits you with a pool punch, they barely touches you, but you but you time incorrectly and leap backwards as though you've been smashed, then you sold the move. Wrestlers do hit each other and it does hurt. They just don't hit each other as hard or get as hurt as bad as they make it appear. While in in the while a match is going on, Stage direction and signals are flying between the performers, the referee, ringside officials, and ringside managers. Occasionally, you can spot the wrestler talking to each other, playing the next series of moves. When it's time for the match to end, the ref will tell one of the wrestlers to bring it home. It means to finish the match. Complex maneuvers are carefully choreographed, and both wrestlers help execute the move. Wrestlers also help each other pace the fight, going into a rest move, like a simple headlock, the stall, and let the performers catch their breath. The ringside official can also inform wrestlers during a live television performance when the show goes into a commercial. Then they go into a, a hold, a rest hold for a minute or two so the audience doesn't miss any real action. Wrestlers use specific methods to reduce pain and damage. One method involves maximizing the area of contact. Your elbow is hard and sharp. Your thigh, however, is larger and well padded by muscle and fat. If you jump on the top rope and land on somebody, the damage inflicted by your elbow could literally kill them. If you did a leg drop and hit them with your outstretched thigh, the force would spread over a large area. It would hurt and probably bruise, but it wouldn't do nearly as much damage as an elbow. This tactic works with punching and even attacks with chairs and other foreign objects. Often punches turn into open-handed slaps at the last second so quickly you don't even notice. Other times wrestlers use their forearms instead of their fists. Chairs often use flat side first, used edge would be more dangerous. Getting slammed into a turnbuckle the padded post at the corner of the ring is another way to spread force out over a large area and isn't very painful. Flying leaps and body slams are not as dangerous as they appear either. Today's wrestling ring is slightly padded and has a lot of spring action. Wrestlers avoid by well, wrestlers avoid injury by spreading out the force of impact. Not one no one ever gets slammed directly onto their necks. Instead, they hit the mat back first. That said, high-flying leaps are among the most dangerous moves in wrestling. A slight miscalculation can lead to serious injury for the wrestler or his opponent. In 2001, a pro 
performer known as Sid Vicious suffered a severely broken leg after attempting a high-flying leap that he wasn't properly trained for. Pile drivers is a move in which a wrestler drives another headfirst into the mat, are popular because they look dangerous. In fact, they are dangerous. Performed properly, the victim's head comes with an inch of the mat, but never touches it. Miscalculated by a few inches, a serious injury result. The list of wrestlers who have been hurt by a pile driver is a long one. Watch enough wrestling, and eventually you'll see some performers who don't have the skill to sell their moves properly. You'll notice punches that don't even come close and reaches that are delayed by a second or two. Veteran wrestlers are experts at glancing blows and near misses that look completely real. If wrestlers aren't really getting hurt, then why do they sometimes bleed? Gruesome matches featuring wrestlers drenched in blood, known as the Crimson Mats, were frequent in the 1970s and were especially popular in Japan. In many cases, capsules filled with fake blood are used. However, a more popular method is known as blading. A wrestler hides a small silver, uh, small sliver of metal in their glove or in the turnbuckle, which then use to inflict a cut on their forehead. Head wounds bleed profusely, even if the wound itself is minor. However, blading is risky. It leads to scarring, and wrestlers can sever an artery if they don't do it correctly. The great Muda, a Japanese wrestler, is known for his gory blading practices. Next, we'll learn about the history of professional wrestling. How it began. Professional wrestling grew out of the traveling carnival strongman who challenged anyone to beat him in the ring or even last 10 minutes. Challengers almost never won the prize money since the strongman had helpers who would cheat to ensure his victory. Eventually, carnies realized they could make more money off of a crowd than the entry fees of the fighter. They started accepting wages on the fight, which were always fixed. Sometimes the local fighter was even in on the fix, helping to hype the fight. These wrestlers used fake names to play up the animosity of the crowd uh, to encourage betting. In the late 1800s, promoters put wrestling events in arenas, much like boxing. A few decades, many individual promoters held wrestling events. Although there were championship belts in existence, none of them had any real authority. So, in 1901, promoters got together to form a loose organization called the National Wrestling Association, which awarded a single championship belt. After World War II, the NWA divided wrestlings into regional leagues. These federations were a part of the NWA. They had a gentleman's agreement not to steal each other's talent or expand their arena shows in another league's region. However, the Northeast Federation, known as the World Wide Wrestling Federation, WWWF, was a bit of a maverick. Vince McMahon Sr. started the WWWF in the early 1960s, and his son, Vince McMahon Jr., took ownership in the 70s. Vince McMahon Jr. shortened the name to the World Wrestling Federation and almost immediately broke the gentleman's agreement. <laughs> he went into direct competition with the regional leagues, stealing their talent, scheduling arena shows on their turf, and scoring lucrative cable TV contracts small leagues could not compete. 
I was a capitalistic uh, mindset by Vince McMahon. By the 1980s, only one of the old region NWA League was still in existence, operating in the Southeast. The league essentially became the NWA. Media mogul Ted Turner purchased it and changed the name to World Championship Wrestling, also known as WCW. He pitted WCW televised events against McMahon's WWF. And for a while, WCW was on top. It drew top talent away from WWF and beat them in the ratings. Several factors included poorly conceived storylines and federal investigations for steroid distribution, for which Vince McMahon was eventually cleared, brought the WWF to its low point. However, McMahon recovered with creative angles and young talented wrestlers. In 2001, he purchased WCW, taking control of the wrestlers, trademarks, and video library. Today, WCW no longer exists. On one other league that had a major impact on pro wrestling was Extreme Championship Wrestling. A minor league based in Philadelphia Bingo Hall, ECW gathered the attention of fans through late night broadcasts on local sports networks. And ECW promoted a hardcore style with wrestlers performing daring, dangerous moves that at times seemed completely insane. Gone were the cartoonish characters of the WWF. ECW featured beer-guzzling lunatics, ladder matches with the ladder's only function was a weapon, and obsession with smashing each other's bodies through tables, usually after flying leaps from the top rope. ECW never made very much money, and it only existed for about five years before the company went bankrupt. But the popularity of the hardcore style had a huge impact on the WWF, which is now World Wrestling Entertainment, WWE, due to the lawsuit by the World Wildlife Fund. You can look it up. <laughs> Vince McMahon Jr. bought ECW and a grittier style wrestling move made to the mainstream. Now, I'm going to talk about some famous wrestlers that you, you might have heard of. Um... So, professional wrestlers have seen thousands of performers step between the ropes, but only a few have made a lasting mark on the industry. So, here's a couple from, from the olden days. Uh, Frank Gotch, generally recognized as the first legitimate champion. Gotch wrestled in the early 1900s. He also took part in one of the first screw jobs in pro wrestling history. Challenger George Hackenschmidt had been injured while training. Possibly by someone hired by Gotch, but agreed to lose as long as Gotch let him win one of the three falls so he wouldn't look bad. Instead, Gotch trounced Hackenschmidt and won the first two falls. <laughs> Luthez. Luthez is a longtime champion. Thez wrestled from the 1940s to the 1960s and held a winning streak that lasted years. Technically, he was the Hulk Hogan of his era. Gorgeous George. George Wagner was a competent wrestler in the 1930s and 40s when he came up with the idea that he would completely change the face of wrestling. Wagner created the character of Gorgeous George, a blonde-haired, fur-robed, wearing prima donna that audiences hated, and they poured into the arenas to boo him. From the first use of entrance music to uh, attendance brain disinfected around the the ring, the gorgeous one laid the foundation for the theatrics that are the core of modern pro wrestling. Bruno Sarmentino, Italian-born Sarmentino, is widely regarded as the greatest wrestler of the post-war era. 
Sarmentino relied on athleticism and skill rather than any gimmick, and fans still respect him for the integrity and dedication. Sarmentino recently refused a spot in the Wrestling Hall of Fame, saying that pro wrestling has become vulgar and harmful to children. Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan, also known as Terry Bollea, is the face of pro wrestling for many fans who grew up watching during the 1980s. His tan frame, blonde hair, and yellow bandana invokes fondness memories of Hulkamania in anyone who watched him wrestle. Hulk Hogan was the biggest star of his era and one of the most popular faces of all time. Other wrestlers known as Mankind, Mick Foley was his name. He had many different gimmicks. Dude loved Cactus Jack, but where he got over, which means got gained his popularity, was through Mankind. There were, the one that solidified his career, which is probably one of my favorite matches, was the Undertaker vs. Mankind's DOK or Hell in the Cell uh, match, which I'll talk about uh, in my favorite matches. Uh, the Rock, Dwayne Johnson, also known as Rocky Maivia, um, uh, grandson to Pete Maivia, um, from, from the olden days of pro wrestling, uh, The Rock had the bravado, the charisma, the know-all, <laughs> just, he knew how to talk. He talked in the third person, and, yeah, these probably would go down as the greatest wrestler of all time, and now he's one of the highest paid actors of all time. He even has a show now called Young Rock which talks about his childhood all the way up into his college days. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Steve Williams, also known as the Texas Rattlesnake. He was, used to be the ringmaster before switching his gimmick to uh, more of an anti-hero. It was supposed to be a heel, but it got so over with the crowd, he became more of an anti-hero. He was the first person to put in an angle with the owner of the World Wrestling Federation, now WWE, Vince McMahon where Stone Cold was the anti-hero and Vince McMahon was the corporation and there were standards and it was probably one of the greatest angles that I have seen in a professional promotion in a long time and I think I was like eight nine years old this is when they like included like Mike Tyson like it was it was great great um there's so many others Triple H with and Shawn Michaels with Degeneration X that's probably one of the greatest factions known mankind uh there's there's so many wrestlers that i can put on undertaker he had the streak going on until they made him lose to brock lesnar which was the stupidest thing in, in the world but i digress there's a lot of a lot of stuff there's a lot of pro wrestlers uh, yeah so probably some some frequently asked questions about pro wrestling is where is professionally wrestling most popular? When it comes to the WWE, professional wrestling is popular across the United States of America. It's very big in Japan with New Japan Pro Wrestling. You're probably wondering how much wrestlers get paid. Uh, on an average, a professional wrestler makes about $500,000 a year. And top wrestlers within the WWE make as much as a million dollars, or probably even exceed a million dollars a year. Um, they can also bring in even more money with deals like acting roles, appearances, and more beyond their... WWE wrestling work. Um, who is the greatest professional wrestler of all time? Uh, well, Sports Illustrated considered Ric Flair, uh, the, the the nature boy, Ric Flair, the best professional wrestler in the world. Uh, 
who are the most professional, famous professional wrestlers? Uh, Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold, The Rock, Undertaker, Mankind, all of that. And then talk about the blood. Is the blood real in, in WWE? If the wrestler gets cut or scraped and injury performing, the blood seen on TV is real. Uh, they did a thing with the WWE to more, more kid-friendly, and so there's not as much blood anymore. But let me talk about some of the, the matches that I loved growing up. I would say Mankind versus Undertaker Hell in a Cell is probably the, like, oh my god, this man probably should have died. Um, it was it was an event called King of the Ring. I was like seven years old. And it was Mankind against The Undertaker. Uh, and they were, they were feuding. And I, I don't even know how else to explain this match. But Mankind was the, the first. So Mick Foley was the first to come out. And he threw a steel chair to the top of the, the cell. So the, the cell is a steel cage with a roof on top. So people can like... Get up there. Um, and then Undertaker is coming down the arena as well and sees Mankind has already climbed up the uh, the cage. And so he climbs up with him. Mankind starts fighting, going back and forth and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, Undertaker takes over and he throws Mankind about 22 feet into the Spanish announce table. <laughs> And we thought that this man had died. And I famously, the famous words from Jim Ross, good old JR, was good God almighty, good God almighty, they killed him. And as God is my witness, he is broken in half. That that was pretty much the, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and McFoley, I think, had like a separated shoulder out of that. But he lay motionless, and we were just like, oh my god, how is he going to continue? And they bring him a stretcher, and then all of a sudden, Mick Foley, Mankind, comes back, and goes back to face Undertaker. (laughs) Oh, man. And they go back to the top, and then all of a sudden, Undertaker chokeslams Mankind through the steel roof into the ring, and... I remember Jerry Lawler saying, good God, good God. No, it's Jim Ross said, good God, good God. Will somebody stop this damn match? And then Jerry Lawler's like, that's it. He's dead. <laughs> like, he went through the cage. And then to add more to it, there was once a pile of thumbtacks where Undertaker executed his finishing move on a pile of thumbtacks. Well, no. Mankind was being chokeslammed on the thumbtacks, and then Undertaker did the Tombstone Pile Driver and finished the match. Probably the greatest match that I watched in my childhood. And they said that pro wrestling like corrupts children with violence and all of that. Like that was one of the greatest matches of I've, I've seen all time. That just I vividly remember. Um, Man, and that that was the form of the Attitude Era. The Attitude Era, I, I can talk about wrestling. I'm I'm way over time because this is something that I'm passionate about. Uh, talk about the Attitude Era with Stone Cold, with The Rock, Degeneration X, 
it was definitely more sexual innuendos, more profanity. A lot of kids got in trouble back in the 98 to like 2003 era with D-Generation X saying, I got two words for you. And everybody would say, suck it. <laughs> oh, man. We used to get in trouble for that. And then, you know, flicking off each other. <laughs> we had no idea. We were kids. It was great. Um, and The Godfather was, was great. Um, <laughs> the character of the Godfather who just had like a bunch of escorts and he would go into the ring he would say like he was pimping hoes nationwide <laughs> I was just like what why am I watching this as a child um, that was when the WWF or WWE was in their bag man it was just it, the Attitude Era was just a, the greatest and then they went PG and child friendly and now wrestling is not what it used to be uh, yeah it's it's watered down the scripts don't make sense I, I had high hopes for all elite wrestling and they did great until the the pandemic had, had transpired they were actually a great promotion and then I think the, the pandemic has stricken a little bit of creativity as far as like travel restrictions and then earlier in the phases of the coronavirus when promotions could not work um you know matches because these performers travel state to state and yeah it, it the, the the product has gone down for for the the um wwe uh aew which is the like the alternative is what they call it i mean i still watch aew since i've been there from the, for the beginning like i commend the elite with kenny omega Matt and Nick Jackson, I mean Cody if he's even a part of the lead, and Adam Page, they're they're, they're good guys. I, I I want their promotion to succeed. Um, you know they they bring on a lot of the independent talent, and I'm just hoping that they can just do something well. I mean, ind independence. There's a lot of things called botches, which means a botch is like a miscalculation in in ring performance. It just doesn't look as smooth. And botches can lead to serious injury, and I'm just hoping that doesn't happen for this promotion, especially on national TV with, with the Turner Network. So, I mean, who who knows? Um, but as far as WrestleMania is concerned, the only match I want to see from WrestleMania is between um, Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks. But that build was even terrible. I hope Bianca Belair wins, and I hope they can give her a good push and a good storyline. Because, um, yeah, as far as Sasha Banks saying that Bianca Belair is a rookie and Sasha Banks is 32 and... No, no, Bianca Belair is 32 and Sasha Banks is like 28. And Sasha Banks calling Bianca Belair a rookie. It just, you know, it just... It's bad... Bad build. That's all I'm gonna say. It's great booking. Bad build. So I'm just hope that's that's the only match that I'm looking forward to um, during the WrestleMania. I mean, obviously there's Roman Reigns against Daniel Bryan against Edge. Uh, I I don't know, but WrestleMania is supposed to be like the pinnacle of wrestling promotions, and it's pretty much a dud. Um, so I I don't know. I I mean. I, WWE has, has fallen off. 
AEW has fallen off. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if they just need a, a restart and just restart and just say, hey, fans, we're restarting. Boom. <laughs> and, and do that. But I am not a promoter. I'm not doing the booking. I am not a multi-billionaire to uh, do these bookings and whatnot. But uh, I want to thank my, my grandfather on my mother's side, Albert Williams, who probably through genetics gave me the passion to watch wrestling because he was a big wrestling fan. I never got to meet him. Uh, well, I mean, he's held me as a baby, but I never got to meet him. He passed away when I was very young, so I don't have any recollection or memory of him. But I do know that my mother said it. The reason why you like wrestling is because of your grandfather. So thank you, Albert Williams. And also I want to thank my mother for being my mom since this is her birthday. And I wanted to wish my mother, Yvonne, a happy birthday. I love you and I always will cherish you. So until next time, thank you for riding with me. I know this was a quite long, but hopefully you got some information, some knowledge about professional wrestling. My name is Richard Anthony Wallace. This is a raw perspective. Peace.